Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is, What Difference Does the Cross Make? Now, here's Bill Almack. Today's the big day in Christianity, this weekend, Easter weekend. Right? Without Easter, there's not much in Christianity. And as I sat around and I thought about Easter, it just got weirder and weirder and weirder. You know how, like, when you're trying to spell a word, and you spell it and it doesn't look right, and you erase it, and you spell it, and you change some letters around, you add letters, you delete letters, and it never looks right. You go get out Webster's Dictionary, and you spell it just like it says in the dictionary, and it still doesn't look right. Right? Anybody else have this problem? Yeah. Bad spellers unite. And as I looked at Easter, it just got weirder and weirder and weirder. And no matter how I looked at it, it just looked weird. Like, how did Easter get to be about bunnies and chocolate and eggs? That's just weird. And I know the whole story of how things were incorporated, but it's weird. Good Friday. The day that Jesus is tortured to death, we call Good Friday. Friday. That's weird, right? And I understand that it's good for you and me, but, you know, calling somebody else's death good because it's good for me, I mean, that's weird, right? And then we have kind of the cross and the tomb. And Christians, we kind of waffle back and forth of where Christ's work was done. Was it the cross or is it the tomb where he's resurrected? And we kind of go back and forth about that. And, you know, the cross becomes the symbol of Christianity. Why is it not the tomb? Why is an instrument of death and torture the symbol of Christianity? That's weird, right? It's a good thing Jesus was born when he was born, because if he had come later in history, maybe the symbol of Christianity would have been a guillotine. Or a noose, or a firing squad, or an electric chair. Wouldn't that be cool? All the churches could have electric chairs right there in the front. It's weird, right? Like I said, we're all weird. We're just weird differently, right? And I wondered, you know, what's the deal with the cross? And sometimes we don't even think about it. We just see the cross and we think about Christianity. It's like when you see the American flag. You don't think about what the blue represents and what the white and the red represents and what the stars represent and the stripes. You just think, oh, it's the American flag. You don't think about it. And so I wanted to take a moment and think about what does the cross mean? I found a video online where they went out on the streets and they asked some people, what does the cross mean? Why is it important? Let's check this out. Why did Christ have to die on a cross? I 
this for all I seen. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. It's all, ah, I got, <laughs> tell, yeah, I don't know for not, you know, but I go to church every Sunday still. <laughs> yeah. Tell me why the cross is significant to Christianity. I think because it's where, uh, I'll say supposedly, because I'm not a uh, firm believer in the whole deal. I think it's because uh, it's where Jesus Christ was, uh, his last minutes where we were there, supposed to symbolize what he, I guess he gave for you and I, whatever. position to answer that because I'm not Christian, so I really wouldn't know why it would be important to Christians, but I would assume that it would be symbolic of his love for for people and his love for God. Tell me why the cross is significant to Christianity. Because um, according to Christianity, Jesus is the Savior, so that's where he was supposedly murdered, so that would be the focal point of where the Savior died. Tell me why the cross is significant to Christianity. Honestly, I don't know. They believe that we shouldn't have, what's the word, idols, and yet they build these things after God. You know, I read in the Bible that God doesn't want us to have idols or stuff like that. and I just see that as hypocrisy. I'm not really big on religion, honestly. dying on a cross save us from our sins? To be honest, I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why. It, I don't know why he, you know, what that, that would have to do with saving us. But. If you believe in it, then as a person, it'll strengthen you to want to do what the Bible says and try and make you live your life in accord with those standards. And if you live with those standards, then you'll probably be a better off person. Why did he die on the cross? To save uh, save the souls of people. He, he uh, killing that hero. Killing that hero. It symbolizes what he went through over the course of his lifetime. Um, he was resurrected, and um, I know that's why we, that's why I believe in Jesus and God, and uh, that's why I'm a good Catholic, I guess. Why is the cross important in Christianity? Well, I would guess because Christ was killed on one. And I respect the fact that it's an important symbol of belief for others, and I do think it's a symbol that holds a great deal of power. But uh, personally, I'm not sure how much it means to me at this point in my life. Tell me why the cross is significant to Christianity. Why the cross? I mean, that's just the number one symbol. I mean, that's why he was, that's how he, what he died on. And I mean, it's just, when you think of Christianity, you think of, Jesus dying on the cross. A lot of people have a sense of hope, at least. I mean, because of the promises that he made. So at least that's something. There's something for everyone to uh, believe in. That he was there, that he rose, that he was something important to people. 
why the cross is so significant to Christianity? Well, it's where Jesus was crucified. So for Christianity, it symbolizes that you can be saved because Jesus died for your sins. Tell me why the cross is significant to Christianity. You wouldn't have salvation without the cross. What do you mean by that? Well, the cross symbolizes the blood of Christ. All right? You have to have that in order to wash away the sins and transgressions of mankind. The cross is where it all begins because Christ all lived. He loved, he laughed, he cried, he ate, he slept, he died. He rose in three days with all power. But he had to go to the cross for all of that to, to transpire so that we have life and we can have it more abundantly. So there's no other way but the cross. There's no other way but the cross. There's no other way but the cross. Any of those people look like your friends? If one of your friends came to you and said, man, what is the deal with the cross? Could you give an answer? Could you give an answer? Our sermon today, our message today, is what difference does the cross make? We see it all the time, but what difference does it make? Why are we doing that? And today I thought we'd look at the life of one person in particular who we see it make a huge difference in, and that's Joseph of Arimathea. You guys remember Joseph of Arimathea? He's the guy that asked for Jesus' body after he's been crucified. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about him. Nine whole verses. Okay, And so we're going to look at those real quick, and then we're going to kind of unpack them. He's got like four verses in Luke and five verses in John. It's in your... Um, bulletins or you can turn to it if you want in your bibles let's look at these verses and see what we can learn about joseph of arimathea starting with luke 23 verses 50 to 53 it says now there was a man named joseph a member of the council a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action he came from the judean town of arimathea And he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in the tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. John tells us the same story, a little bit different details maybe. It says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. We don't know a lot about Joseph of Arimathea. We know he comes from Arimathea. 
And if you were to look at a map and Jerusalem is here and you go due north and you kind of go west, which for you guys would be that way. Um, that looks east to me, but west. It's about like 11 o'clock on a clock. That's where Arimathea was. Not too far from Jerusalem. And he's a member of the council, the Sanhedrin. This is kind of like being a member of the Supreme Court in today. These are the people that ruled the land. They set the laws. They changed the laws. They, they, they did things. And so he's a man of power, of, of some prominence, of probably some degree of wealth. John tells us in uh, John 19, verse 38, it says, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. Why does he fear the Jewish leaders? Because the Jewish leaders are kind of upset at Jesus, right? And we, we just talked about this in our Bad Boys of Easter series, right? And, and what was going on through that whole, whole time? And Joseph was a man of prominence. He's part of the Sanhedrin. Luke describes uh, Joseph as a good and upright man. See, sometimes some of the Jews get a bad rap because we think, you know, all the Jews were bad. They just, the whole lot of them. But there were people amongst them that were followers of Jesus and were good people. Luke mentions that Joseph didn't consent to everything that the Sanhedrin's doing here. He didn't consent to the plotting and the planning to get Jesus um, crucified. He, he didn't consent when they uh, accept money or give money to Judas to betray him. He didn't consent when the Sanhedrin sent armed guards to arrest Jesus. He didn't consent when the Sanhedrin left Jesus at the mercy of the high priest thugs while they found false witness against him. He didn't consent during the illegal trial. He didn't consent when the crowd was yelling, crucify him. But on the other hand, we have no record that he objected either. He didn't say anything to stop it. He didn't try to stand up in any way. Imagine the turmoil that's inside Joseph's heart as he sees what's happening to Jesus, a person that he claims he wants to be a disciple of, he wants to follow. And he's not brave enough to stand up. How must he feel He could have stood up. In Acts 5, we hear a story about another Pharisee who stands up, Gamaliel, who says, listen, this might be the work of men, and if it is, don't worry about it. But if it's the work of God, you don't want to be standing against this. And he tries to talk the Sanhedrin down. Ultimately, he fails. Joseph could have stood up then and helped. But he didn't. He said nothing. He absenteed himself from the problem and just kind of hides in the corner. Sounds like us sometimes, doesn't it? We say we're for God, but when somebody starts talking about how stupid it is to be a Christian, 
our hearing gets bad. We can't hear that. When somebody talks about how only simple-minded people believe in Christianity because science... You know, you can believe in God and science. It's possible. But we don't say that. We want to hide. I think the rooster crowed for Joseph of Arimathea just as it did for Peter. A denial by silence. But after the crucifixion, we see a completely different Joseph. It's like Clark Kent. You know, the old Superman. The dive into a phone booth, and come out. Superman, right? They had to change that because you can't find phone booths anymore. So the story had to change. But you would see this huge change in Clark Kent as he became Superman. And that's what the kind of change we see here in Joseph of Arimathea because right after the crucifixion, he goes to Pilate and asks for Jesus' body. This is huge. This is huge. Number one, part of being crucified was being drugged through town and your body thrown on the trash heap and let the vultures and the dogs take care of it. And Joseph is breaking all kinds of rules, unwritten or not, to do this. Furthermore, it really shows how important Joseph of Arimathea is because he just walks in to go talk to Pilate. That's like you or me saying, hey, I'm going to go talk to the president. Yeah, you kind of get stopped at that front gate. I mean, I can't even go talk to the governor or even the mayor of Downey, right? But he walks right in to talk to Pilate. And I wonder what he thought before doing that. You know, he's wondering, is Pilate going to say no? Is Pilate going to laugh at me? I'm making a stand here. And Joseph has, is firmly planting his flag on the hill of Jesus now. Right? No more secrecy. He's coming out and he's being bold. And he might be worried about what will happen to him and what Pilate will say. But we don't have any record that Pilate doesn't say anything but, yeah, go ahead. Now, this was a big act of sacrifice because up till now, Joseph has been hanging on to being part of the Sanhedrin, to the power, to the prestige, to the wealth. And all of the sudden now, he's saying, i got to give that up and I've got to surrender that if I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus is already dead. This is a huge, huge act that he goes through. And even more, it's Passover, the biggest holiday in the Jewish calendar. And now Joseph is going to be ceremonially unclean because he touches a dead body. And he will not be able to partake in the Jewish Passover feast. And he's one of the leaders. This is a huge, huge act that he goes through. 
John chapter 19, verse 39 says, He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Remember, we see myrrh at the beginning when Jesus is born. The wise men bring myrrh as one of the gifts. And at the end, when Jesus dies, we see the myrrh again. And Nicodemus is another man who would visit Jesus at night. He was a disciple in secret. But these two men have now been changed by what happened at the cross. And there's no more being secret. See? The private faith becomes full Christian faith after the cross. There's no more hiding it anymore. And the private faith becomes full Christian faith. When Jesus was alive, Joseph was a disciple in secret because he was scared. But after the cross, he has a boldness to go and do what needs to be done. See, there's no such thing as secret discipleship. There's no such thing as secret discipleship. Either the secrecy will destroy the discipleship or the discipleship will destroy the secrecy. You can't have both. Either the secrecy will destroy the discipleship or the discipleship will destroy the secrecy. You can't be a follower of Jesus in secret. It doesn't work. And Joseph and Nicodemus figured it out. Imagine a young man who's going to propose to that sweet something, young lady. And he plans the perfect evening the romantic place she likes to go, the kind of music she likes. It's a beautiful, beautiful evening. And at the end of the evening, we see him on one knee. Will you marry me? And she says, yeah, but, you know, under one condition. Let's keep it a secret. I don't want anybody to know that I had to settle for you. That kind of takes some of the joy out of it, doesn't it? When we go to Jesus and we claim to be a secret disciple, that's exactly what we do. That's exactly what we do. Jesus, I want to follow you, but let's not tell anybody. My friends might make fun of me. It might be hard at work. My family won't like it. Whatever the reasons we come up with, that's exactly what we do. See? If we are grabbed by the death of Jesus and we understand what He did for us, we will become public disciples. Amen? Listen got a card here for you 
I want you to take out in your bulletin. Everybody got one? Gustavo's got a few extra. If somebody doesn't have one, I want you to look at these cards. If you need one, raise your hand. There's a Bible text on the front from John 12:32, And this is Jesus talking just before His death. He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to Myself. Now Jesus is talking about His death on the cross. And He's saying, when I get lifted up on the cross, I am going to draw all people to Myself. Of course, when He says it, it goes over the disciples' heads. They don't know what's going on. They didn't understand. But Jesus made a prophecy just then, and it came true. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross, we see several people who are drawn to Jesus. We have the the criminal on the cross. We have the centurion. We have Joseph of Arimathea. And we have Nicodemus. At least four, and there's probably more, that are instantly drawn to Jesus by the power of the cross. And Jesus' prophecy comes true. The very next day. That's cool. That's cool. What Jesus says is true. I will draw all people to Myself. On the back there's a little spot where I want you to write something. And this is between you and God. You're not going to turn this into Me. You're not going to give it to your spouse. This is between you and God. What does the cross mean to you? What does it mean? Chris is going to play a little bit, and we're going to have just a moment to think about that and write something down there. Let this minute pass you by. What does the cross mean? Is it forgiveness? Is it love? mercy and grace. There's a couple boxes there you can check. Are you ready to surrender your will to God? Are you ready to finally let go and trust God? Are you ready to have a public faith and not be a secret disciple? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to be public 
in our love for you, Lord. We want to stand for you. Say we make a difference. We believe in Jesus and it made a difference in my life. Sometimes it's scary, Lord, and we don't know what to do. Give us the courage to stand for you as you had the courage to go to the cross for us, Lord. Sometimes it's hard to connect with this because it seems so far away. We've heard the story so many times, Lord. But help it to be real. Help it to be something that we we wrestle with of what does that mean and how does it affect the way I behave every single day. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.